Thank you, Blake. Uh, thank the tellers for a great report on Honduras. I uh, want to welcome everyone. Let me join with Tony and with John Micah in welcoming everyone. As I mentioned, John Micah. John, where are you at? I'm trying to find John Micah this morning. If you see John Micah, wish him happy birthday. He became an adult today. <laughs> a little bit beyond that, but today is John's birthday. Wish him happy birthday. Jen and I are going to be greeting today. We're going to be greeting in the very corner back here as you go out the front lobby to the right. If you're a guest today, we'd love to meet you if we have not already met you. And so come by and say, hey, we're visiting today and we'd love to say hi to you. Uh, Also a very special announcement. We had a baptism yesterday. Uh, Silas Bailey. Silas, raise your hand. I know Silas is right over here somewhere. Oh, way back over here. Silas was baptized yesterday by Jim Reese. So Silas, welcome to the family of God. We're glad to Wonderful awesome, awesome, awesome. And, and we welcome all of our Lipscomb students. Uh, college is about to break out. I was telling them uh, many years ago, uh, June and my youngest son, Kyle, was an RA at High Rise, and so he knows what it's like to be a RA. Uh, a little side note about Kyle when he was there. Kyle was there... Uh, and the rumor got out that Kyle Chapman, I don't know if y'all remember Amy Grant's first husband, Gary Chapman. Because of that, the rumor got out that Kyle was Amy Grant's son. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And so it wasn't unusual for somebody to come up, are, are, is Amy Grant your mom? You know, and he's like, no, my mom's June. Uh, no, I'm joking. He didn't say that, but uh, that was one of the rumors he had to live with for a while there on campus at Lipscomb, and so uh, that, that was an interesting little side note. All right, we are in a study on the book of Matthew, looking at the master disciple maker, and for quite some time now, we've been looking at uh, Jesus' pronouncement of judgment, uh, a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to announce that Judgment is coming. And, and today we're going to be looking at an incredibly, incredibly difficult text. It is without a doubt, I think, the hardest chapter in the entire book of Matthew. It's a chapter that a lot of us think we know what's going on until we kind of get into the text and then scratch our head and go, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. And, and if you leave today scratching your head going, I'm not quietly sure what Les said today. I will have accomplished my task. Because I, I'm serious as a heart attack. This is a difficult subject. It's an incredibly misunderstood chapter. And we need to really spend some time on it. And I don't have time to go through verse by verse today and do it. And so I'm going to give you just a very quick uh, overview. I don't know how many of you knew that about a week and a half ago, uh, week last Wednesday, was Tisha B'Av. Uh, Blake, did you celebrate it? Well, I'm glad you didn't because it's a day of mourning. Uh, Tisha B'Av is the one day during the year that Jews mourn. And it was about 10 days ago. And for those of us who are Christians, we don't even know it exists, even though it is spoken of in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we're going to talk about what was it that they mourned about 10 days ago all over the world that Jesus actually talked about that most of us don't know about. How's that for an introduction? We're in Matthew chapter 24. 
Matthew 24 continues the judgment scene all the way from 21. Parables Jesus are telling. In fact, Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 23 at the very end of this long judgment text that we looked at last week. He says, listen, you can squirm out of this or you can't squirm out of this. Every drop of righteous blood, every spilled on this earth, beginning with the blood of that good man Abel right down to the blood of Zechariah, Berechiah's son, whom you murdered at his prayers, it's on your head. And I want you to notice the yellow because it's very important you see this. All this, I'm telling you, is coming down on you, on your generation. Jesus is here announcing a coming judgment that's going to happen in the lifetime of many of the people who are hearing him. It's coming down on this generation. And of course, you've got to pause and go, why? What is it about that generation that had Jesus pronouncing this incredible act of judgment that God's going to bring down upon Israel? And the answer goes back all the way to chapter 21 in the parable of the vineyard. And, and notice in this parable of the vineyard, a man had built a vineyard, he'd leased it out. He keeps sending people to get you know, earnings from it. And the people refused to pay earnings. Instead, they began to persecute. They began to kill the people he sends. And notice as you get near the end, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Now, if you don't pick up what the word my son means in this text, then, then you're not paying attention. Jesus is talking about himself, the son of God. He's being sent. And Jesus is explaining what's going to happen to him. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is talking about himself. And he says, because of what the Jewish people are going to do to me, God's wrath is going to come down upon them. Matthew 24 begins this way. And by the way, just to set the stage, it's either Tuesday night or Wednesday night of the last week of Jesus' life. He's leaving the temple. He's going to go back to Bethany. And as he's leaving the temple, notice the disciples came up to him to call his attention to all the buildings. They said, Lord, look at this temple. Isn't this great? This is beautiful. I mean, look at all the temple grounds, a massive complex. Thousands of Jews have poured in because it's Passover. And they're like, isn't this awesome? Only to be shocked by what Jesus said next. Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, y'all, he's using a lot of phrases here. Be, be careful about taking things literally. You know, as I tell people all the time, you know, when we were teenagers, somebody came up, you know, and you say, you better be careful. He's fixing to clean your plow. That doesn't mean he's going to the barn and doing some cleaning. He's going to knock your block off. There's all kinds of phrases that we need to realize. Don't take them literally. Jesus says, listen, you see what's going on here? By the time God gets through... It's going to be total devastation. That's what he's saying. And so they leave the temple. They go across the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, toward Bethany. And when they get to the top of the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to him. And they said, Lord, you need to answer some questions. Now, Mark and Luke both simply ask two questions. When 
And how do we know it's about to happen? What are the signs that's about to happen? Matthew in his gospel, because he's writing to Jews and he was present when the questions are being asked, reveals that there's two other very important questions that have to be answered. And so Matthew gives us three questions, slightly different. Look at the three. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? In other words, when is this destruction going to take place? What will be the sign of your coming? Big, big problem for many people in interpreting the text. And of the end of the age. And let me mention this last one, the end of the age. That's the ESV. Unfortunately, the King James translated the end of the world. And when the King James translated the end of the world for the next 400 years, everybody thought it meant the end of the world. Well, 300 years. And, and unfortunately, it's a, it's a bad translation. The word there is not world. It's the word aeon in Greek, which is aeon in English. It's an age. What's going to be, what's the sign of the end of the age? Now, when you look at these three questions, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? They're, they're asking not what, oftentimes people read into this. Look at the message. I love the way the message words this. Later as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples approached and asked, tell us, when are these things going to happen? Same first question. What will be the sign of your coming that the time's up? I really like that. The time's up. What what about the end of the age? The time's up. The better translation is the NTE. Uh, And the NTE answers this way. Tell us, they said, what... Uh, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that you're going to appear as king? Far better translation. Now, the literal translation is, what is the sign of your coming? And I grew up thinking that meant the second coming. The apostles were asking about the second coming. There's only one problem to that. At this point in their ministry, they had no concept of a second coming. None. They didn't think Jesus was leaving. And they sure didn't think he was going to come back. And so when people say, well, he's talking about Jesus' second coming, that is impossible. You know, the night of his betrayal, John chapter 14, he's in the upper room. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I want to come back that you can be where I am. You know where I'm going and you know the way. And the apostles are like, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? We don't know where you're going and we sure don't know the way. And then Jesus cleared it up by saying, I'm the way. Boy, didn't that clear it up? I mean, Jesus has a way of sometimes catching them. They had no knowledge of Jesus leaving, Jesus dying, Jesus being resurrected, ascending, and coming back a second time. It wasn't in their knowledge bank. What they did believe is that he's the Messiah. And he's going to be made king. And so what's the sign of that? And that the end of the age is a bonus. Why the end of the age? Because when Jesus became Messiah, the Mosaic age would end and the Messianic age would begin. That's what every Jew believed. And so they're asking, when are you becoming Messiah? And at that moment, the old age is out and the new age is in. So tell us, when will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed? 
What will be the sign that you're going to appear as king? When are you going to be finally crowned once and for all? And what will be the sign that the end of the age is upon us? Very important that you see this. When does the Mosaic age end and the Messianic age begin? Almost no one thinks about that. It's huge, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. I mean, there was a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. And they overlap for 40 years, one generation, just as Jesus said basically it would happen. Now, if you're going to understand it, three quick pillars. Three things you have to understand if you're going to interpret Matthew chapter 24. Number one, you've got to understand Daniel 9. Last part of Daniel 9 is all about this. You have to read it and you have to understand it. You go, why Daniel 9? Because Jesus links it himself. Right in the middle of his lesson, he says, By the way, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says, let me give you a clue. Go back and read Daniel. Most popular prophetic book of the first century. Every Jew knew something was going to happen. Go back and read it. Pillar number two, Matthew 24. And Jesus says something right in the middle of Matthew 24 that needs to make everybody stop and think for a moment. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. In other words, it's going to happen in the lifetime of the people standing there. This generation is not going to pass. Now, there's tons and tons of people that read Matthew 24 and they say, well, that's talking about the future. No, it's not. It was talking about the future for these people. They were going to experience, and look at what Jesus says, all these things. So you have to go back and reread the text. And then pillar number three is an unusual one. This is one that's going to throw a lot of people. Some of you have heard of this person. Very few of us have ever studied him or read his works. A guy by the name of Flavius Josephus. Who in the world is Flavius Josephus? Flavius Josephus wrote a book. Got the copy of it right here. And it's called The Jewish War. Pretty thick book. Hard to read. Okay? I mean, it is, it is tough sledding in this one. But Flavius Josephus wrote about the very thing Jesus talked about in Matthew 25. And without it, you're going to look at Matthew 25 and go, what is he talking about? With this, you go, oh. So let's dive in real quick. Pillar number one, book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, and I'm going to come out of some other translations because they help us a little bit in understanding. This is the NCY, excuse me, NCB translation. God has ordered 490 years for your people and your holy city for these reasons. Daniel begins by saying in about 500 years, here's what's going to happen. Okay? Daniel's living back in 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 the 6th century He's looking down through time, and he says, within 500 years, these things are going to take place. Look at what he says. To stop people from turning against God. In other words, to bring rebellion to an end. To put an end to sin. To put an end to sin. How is God going to do that? Maybe his name's called Jesus. To take away evil. How's he going to do that? Maybe his name is Jesus. To bring in goodness. Some translations say righteousness that continues forever. How's he going to do that? Jesus. 
to bring about the vision and prophecy. What does that mean? Jesus. And to appoint a most holy place. Somewhere where atonement can be made for sin once and for all. And by the way, that's not possible with the blood of bulls and goats. It had to be the blood of Jesus sprinkled on the mercy seat in the holy place. And John tells us that was in heaven. After the 434 years, the appointed leader, the anointed one, is going to be killed. Jesus. You'll have nothing. No heirs. I mean, no property. He has nothing. But God's going to do some amazing things. And the people of the leader who is to come, they're going to destroy the city and the holy place. And the end of the city will come like a flood. Don't, don't miss any of this. Daniel says Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. And it's going to come like a flood. And the war will continue until the end. God has ordered that place to be completely destroyed. Now again, we don't read a lot in Daniel. Daniel's tough reading. But man, if we read it, especially because Jesus points back to it. All at once we're like, okay, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to put an end to sin. He's going to put an end to rebellion. He's going to usher in eternal righteousness. He's going to, he's going to die, and then the city itself is going to be destroyed. Yes. Pillar number two, Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus begins to tell them about all these things. Okay? And he's going to use words coming straight out of, Matthew, uh, out of Daniel chapter 9. Most people don't see that. You've got to link the two. Okay? Notice what he says. See that no one leads you, the apostles, astray. There are going to be people who come in my name saying I'm the Christ. They're going to lead people astray. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed for this must take place. And then look right there in the middle. But the end is not yet. What end? Boy, I tell you, if you talk to people out on the street, the end of time. Well, that's why we better get ready because, boy, there's wars and rumors of wars right now. I mean, he goes on. He says, nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes. I mean, boy, we see that all around us. Ah. Jesus says that's going to be before the end he's talking about. And you say, which end? Look back at Daniel. The end of the city. That's the end he's talking about. He's not talking about the end of time. He's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end of the first covenant. When is the first covenant ending? And when is the messianic kingdom starting? And what's involved in that? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you. They're going to put, deliver you up to tribulation. They're going to put a lot of you to death. John, very likely, is the only one that lived much past what takes place here. There are going to be people who are going to fall away. There's going to be false prophets lead people away because of lawlessness. Uh, I mean, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he says this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then he says the end's going to come. Now, people read this and they said, Jesus is coming back when we finally preach the gospel to the whole world. Again, you're not understanding the language of Jesus. When Jesus says that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, he meant his world. 
the Roman Empire. You say, how do you know that? Look at Paul use the exact same phrase in Colossians 1. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. In other words, in their world, the gospel went out. That's all he's saying. He's not saying, boy, we've got to get the gospel to every nook and cranny of the earth and then Jesus will return. I hear people preaching that all the time. That's just not what Jesus is talking about. So he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place there in Jerusalem, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What I love about the gospels is they actually tell us what Jesus is talking about. You see, Luke comes and Luke says, let me translate the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. That's what Luke says. And when you do, you know if desolation is near, you need to flee to the mountains. Why flee to the mountains? Because the city's fixing to be razed. Jerusalem's fixing to be destroyed. The temple is going to be burned. Everything's going to come to an end, at least for the Jews. So let the one who is on the housetop, when you see the armies arriving, you don't even go back in the house. And if you're out in the field plowing, you don't go back to get your cloak out of the house. You run. Because if the city gets surrounded, you're not going to like what's going to happen to you. And the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the land will mourn. This is the complete Jewish Bible. All the tribes of the land, a very Jewish term. Notice the word land, this translation capitalizes it. Why? Because he's talking about Israel. All the tribes of Israel are going to mourn and they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory and he'll send out his angels with great shofar. That's the trumpet sound, that ram's horn. And they will gather together his chosen people from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You read the language and you think that's the end of the world. No, it's not. It's God's protective care of believing Israel. Jesus says, I'm going to send my angels. And if you believe in me, they're going to get you out. They're going to gather all of my faithful people together. That's all he's trying to say to them. Now, he's using this enormous language. But he's saying, I'm here. And notice the language there. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. Jesus said the exact same thing during his trial about four, three chapters later. Look at his trial. This is two chapters later, 26. Jesus is in front of the high priest. And the high priest says, are you the Christ? And look at what Jesus says. You have said so, but I say to all of you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man. You're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Psalm 110, verse 1. Most often quoted text in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And the coming on the clouds of heaven, Daniel 7, 13. Jesus coming before God in the clouds, to take his place as his right hand, crown Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, the launching of the Messianic age, and the end of the Mosaic age. That's all he's talking about. And we try to read so much more into it. And then to make sure you get it, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until this all happens. You've got to do something with that verse, which is the exact same thing he said at the end of the last chapter.
The exact same thing. But he says, but concerning that day, he said, I can't tell you the exact time. You read Matthew 24, he says, pray that it's not winter. Pray that you're not pregnant or with small children. Pray that it's not on Sabbath day. Jesus, tell us when. He said, I can't tell you. In his human form, he didn't know. He said, I can't tell you the day. I can't tell you. I I just tell you it's within this generation. Even the angels don't know. And then notice what he says. For as were the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. So it will be when I come into my authority and the old Mosaic covenant ends. By the way, notice that. As were in the days of Noah, go back to Daniel, the end of the city will come like a flood, just like in Noah's day. That's what Daniel predicted. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, let me say something that is true. And that is the second coming of Jesus will be just like the coming of judgment on Jerusalem. We don't know when he's coming back the second time as well. Paul's very clear about that. Which leads us now to pillar number three. And something that I'm going to introduce. Some of you know this person, some of you don't. There's a book written called The Jewish War. And in The Jewish War, written by a man by the name of Josephus. Let me say a word about Josephus. Josephus' real name was Joseph. Joseph ben Matthias. Joseph, son of Matthias. He was from the tribe of Levi. He's from the family of Aaron. He's one of the priestly groups, okay? He was born about the time Jesus died. He was highly educated, very rich, and, and he was a witness of everything Jesus talked about. And he ended up writing a history of it. I tell people all the time, what is amazing to me more than anything is that there was only one war that I know of in the ancient world that was recorded meticulously day by day, month by month, year by year for three and a half years. And it just so happened to be the war Jesus predicted. You do with that what you please. I think God's hand's in it. And so you have this young man by the name of Josephus, which is his his Jewish, or excuse me, his Roman name. And he records what happens in the next 40 years, particularly the last four of them. In A.D. 66, in the month of May, Paul's dead, Peter's dead, John's still around, Timothy's still around, The church is going through some difficulty. Why? Because the Jews revolt against Rome. The Jews who always wanted a military Messiah finally decided we're going whether God wants us to or not. And they revolt against Rome. Now let me just give you a little insight. Judea revolting against Rome would be like Mississippi declaring her independence. All right? That's not going to go well for Mississippi. Georgia, maybe, I mean, Alabama a little bit better, Blake, but Mississippi doesn't have a chance. You know, we're not going to be a part of the United States anymore. Really? I mean, let's see how well that goes. And so in A.D. 66, in May, Jerusalem revolts. By November, the Romans send in a legion. They send in the 12th legion. And, and their Rome's thinking is, we'll send in a legion, they'll go in there, they'll scare the Jews to death, and they'll get back in line. Only problem is it didn't happen. When they attacked Jerusalem, the Jews put up a ferocious defense. 
They decided to withdraw. When they withdrew, the Jews followed them, and they destroyed the 12th legion. Destroyed it. Captured all their materials, all their weapons. One of the most humiliating defeats of the Roman Empire. And now it's on. By December of 66, Vespasian, a general in the Roman army, is given the command. You go to Judea and you squash this revolt. And so Vespasian gets his son Titus and they take three legions and they head toward Judea. In the meantime, a guy by the name of Joseph ben Matthias, as we know him, Josephus, takes command of northern Galilee. You see, he's appointed a general himself. And so all at once in the spring of 67, you have Vespasian and Titus with their Roman legions against Josephus and his band of Jewish zealots. And you're like, whoo, not a good battle. No, it wasn't. In July 20th, 67, that next spring, early summer actually, Josephus had held up in a city called Jotapata, just, just right outside of Cana. And there all of his zealots are, and the Roman legions have them surrounded. And after weeks of just ferocious battle, the Romans finally take the city, and they capture Josephus. And they bring Josephus to Vespasian. And Vespasian says, Whoo, Nero's going to enjoy crucifying you. I'm going to send you back, and he is going to, oh, it's going to be bad. And Josephus does something remarkable. He says, General, I'm a prophet, I'm a priest, and God has spoken to me that in the book of Daniel, God prophesied that you would become emperor of the world. In other words, he tells Vespasian he's going to be the Messiah. And Vespasian's like, yeah, right, don't tell that to Nero, he'll have me strung up. Only problem is, Josephus is 30 years old, so is Titus, his son. And Titus is superstitious. And Titus says, Dad, uh, these Jews are weird people. Maybe we need to see what happens. And so they just put him in jail. They put him in confinement with them. The next year, Nero commits suicide. Roman Empire is thrown into chaos. By the summer of 68, most of Judea is, con is conquered. Most of the Jews are now in Jerusalem. And then in December 69, in 69, after three emperors replaced Nero, one right after the other, the Roman legions finally say, enough is enough. We need someone who can truly protect us. And they proclaim Vespasian emperor of Rome. Just like Josephus said he would. And the next thing you know, he's out of jail and he's being adopted into the family. I mean... Vespasian's like, you know what? You are a prophet, aren't you? Yes, I am. I told you I was. Titus and him become best friends. And Vespasian says, I want you to keep a record of this war. And Josephus starts keeping the record. In April 23rd, 1970, 70, not 1970, 70, the armies start surrounding Jerusalem, just like Luke said they would. Christians are fleeing. Jews are holding up. We can, God's going to come to our rescue. And on August the 9th and 10th of A.D. 70, which was commemorated 10 days ago, 
Jerusalem was conquered, the temple was burned, and Jesus' predictions came true. Everything was destroyed. Most of us don't know the story. Most preachers don't preach the story. But that's the story. How many of y'all have ever been to Rome? Anybody ever been to Rome? This is the Arch of Titus. This was built 2,000 years ago. This was built right after Titus came back from destroying Jerusalem, sacking the temple, bringing all the gold of the temple back to Rome. They built this to honor Titus, who would replace his dad as emperor of Rome. And what's amazing is, if you look right inside the uh, the arch of Titus, and there's a picture of it, do you see the carving on the inside? Let me help you out. It's right there where the arrow is. That's the menorah. That's what was, in the holy of, what was in the holy place in the temple. That's a picture of Jewish slaves as they're carry, being carried back to Rome in complete fulfillment of everything Jesus said. And with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, God's punishment of unbelieving Israel was complete and the Mosaic Covenant came to an end. No more sacrifice. No more priesthood. No more anything that you find in the Old Testament. It's all gone and has been ever since. Jesus says, let me tell you what will happen when you reject me. And let me tell us today that what happened to them, there's another judgment coming. And it's going to be even more ferocious for those who reject the Son of God. Yes, our God is a God of great grace. By the way, next week, be reading Matthew 25. But remember that God is not just a God of grace, but he's also a God of judgment. And he will hold us accountable. He did Israel 2,000 years ago, and he still will do us today. And so don't be afraid to warn others of the consequences of their action. Yes, we want to preach grace, but grace is always tempered by judgment. And finally, pray for our young people. We've got a great group here today. When I think about what our young people are facing in our world today, those of us who are older need to pray for them, that they will come to know Jesus and follow him and continue to live as a witness to this world. I don't know what your needs are today. We're going to sing a song. We'll have elders in the back foyer here and the front foyer. If you have a need, if you'll go to one of our elders, they'll be glad to assist you. Uh, I'll be down front. If you'd like to come and and share anything with me, I'll be glad to uh, help you as well. Come right now. Together we stand and sing.